Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Parenting in the 21st Century. We are living in a world that is rapidly changing due to pandemic confusion, social media, smartphones, divisive media, racial issues, and an ever-changing culture. Because of this, raising a child in Christ and preparing them for the future can be very difficult. In this four-part series, we'll take a look at God's Word and cast a vision for how we can raise our kids to their own faith in the 21st century. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Morning, Valleybrook. For those of you who don't know me, my name is David Seiler. I'm the student pastor here. So glad that all of you are here with us. This morning, we're going to continue. We're going to wrap up, actually, our series called Parenting in the 21st Century. Um, just a reminder for those of you who aren't parents, um, or maybe your kids are, are grown up and you're like, this doesn't necessarily apply to me. The fact is, like, everything we're going to be talking about applies not only to principles of parenting, but also basic principles of the lives that we should live as Christians. So I have a son. He's three years old. His name is Oliver. And my son Oliver amazes me more and more every single day because with him, every day is an adventure, and my wife Amber and I, we never know what exactly to expect. We don't know what kind of mood he's going to be in, uh, what he'll want to eat, except for French toast sticks, because that's pretty much constant right now, or what letter or number he will most be excited about that day. He can be the absolute cutest kid in the world. He can be sitting in the corner quietly, reading a book. Whenever it's quiet, we know that he's either reading a book or he's into something he shouldn't be. But he can be the cutest kid in the world, sitting in the corner, reading a book. You're like, oh, everything's good. And then you turn around, 30 seconds later, there are 50 magnets on the floor, milk spilling on the couch, and our dog Waffle is eating the pile of Cheez-Its that Oliver threw on the floor. I know, like, no matter what age your kids are, the parenting struggle is real. Or if I let my southern roots come out, the struggle is real, y'all. So the Bible, it doesn't have a book, a chapter, or even one verse that goes into detail about how to be a good parent. But I believe that Jesus laid the foundation for being a godly parent when he laid the foundation for New Testament behavior in Matthew 22, when he says, one of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So these two points should be the foundation as Christians of how we live our lives. About God being the priority of our lives and loving him with our heart, soul, and mind, followed by loving your neighbor as yourself. This involves loving your children, loving your coworkers, loving you know, your neighbors, your family members. That is what it all includes. But today we're gonna continue looking a little more specifically at what it means to love our kids with all our hearts. When Jesus laid the foundation for godly parenting there, First um, Corinthians 13, Paul goes into more detail about what that looks like on a practical level. The last few weeks we've been looking at 
some specifics um, that he talks about there. Today we're going to continue it um, with verse, in verse 5, which says, love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking or easily angered. The Greek word here isn't angered, but it is stirred up. Normally our kids don't make us angry, but what they do is they stir up and they bring to the surface what is already inside of us. They bring out our self-seekingness that we have that we may not even realize is there. I love our son, I love being a father, but honestly, life before Oliver was a whole lot easier. It was more simple, it was all about me and Amber and what we wanted. I could come home from work and not have to worry about taking care of someone else necessarily. Um, it was just me and Amber, we could watch whatever we wanted on TV. Um, we could eat dinner, we could go out on a date night, go to a movie, play games, whatever. We didn't have to worry about anyone except for ourselves. But now it's not just about us. We have a child to take care of, we have a child to love, and especially at three, he can't take care of himself. Sometimes we may have a babysitter and people ask like, oh, where's Oliver? And we're like, Waffle's taking care of him. Waffle is our dog. Waffle cannot actually take care of our son, Oliver. So if we do say to you, Waffle's taking care of him, that's not true. We actually have a babysitter, so don't contact anyone. We're not, we're actually taking care of our child. So, but he can't take care of himself. And he doesn't quite understand that even when food is being microwaved, he still has to wait for it to cook. And even when it's out of the microwave, he still has to wait for it to cool down because it's hot. So he doesn't like fully understand. And parenting can be very emotional because we care about our kids. But we also like have our own selfish tendencies. And sometimes our emotions or our frustrations can come out a little bit too quickly. And especially as our kids begin to get a little bit older, it's important to talk about our emotions with them. Um, child psychologist Eli Lobowitz says, it's scarier for a child to have a parent who is struggling and doesn't talk about it versus a parent who is struggling and does talk about it. Most of the time, our son Oliver doesn't listen. He's three, he's hyper, he's in his own little world. Maybe he's singing, maybe he's running around like counting to 100 with his fingers. Maybe he's saying all the ABCs because he learned sign language at the age of like two because of the videos that he watched on YouTube. Um, but most of the time he does not listen. Sometimes you can yell at him, you can talk quietly, you can look him in the eye and he's still kind of like in his own little world. Maybe the dog will bark at him because he steps on the dog and he's still just kind of in his own little world. So you don't even get a response. But when I like grab Oliver, give him a hug and tell him that what he did or maybe his yelling hurts and makes us upset that he's not listening, he responds in a loving way because he understands that word hurt. When you're expressing that, even to him as a child who just turned three, like there's some understanding and there's some relating to, oh, this is why they're frustrated. And especially as kids get older, that becomes more and more important. James chapter four, verse two says, you desire, but you do not have. You covet, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel in your fight, and you fight. This is difficult to see when we're talking about uh, conflict with children or even contact or conflict with friends or coworkers, but it's so important to own up to our part of the conflict because it's when we have those 
desires. Maybe we want something and, and we just can't get it. Or maybe the person we're talking to, especially if it's our children, they don't understand. Um, so we just get even more frustrated and maybe we quarrel and fight. But it's important to own that we have a part in that. Sometimes we get emotional and we talk to our children like they have the capacity of an adult, which even if your kids are teenagers, like they don't quite get it. Amber often has to remind me that Oliver doesn't understand what I'm saying because I'm saying too much. Maybe he's not listening and I try to like go into some long explanation of why he needs to do something or not do something. And he just kind of stares at me and Amber has to remind me like he doesn't know what you're saying. He doesn't understand the 50 word you know, explanation that you're trying to give him. Um, so I'm used to teenagers. And as the mind of teenagers develop, as they begin going into adolescence, um, which the crazy thing that I've learned recently is that can start as early age as, as the age of 10. So as they begin to grow, their mind starts changing and they develop. And their minds no longer understand right versus wrong, but they, things are no longer black and white, but they um, be, need to understand the explanation. They need to understand the reasoning. They under, need to understand the reasoning behind the rules and expectations and often the potential consequences before they can make up their minds. We have to understand that as parents, our words and our emotions can hold so much weight in the way that our children view themselves. When we regularly let our emotions take over, it can have negative effects on them. Now, if we're honest, like all of us, we have emotions that take over at times, whether that's dealing with our kids or coworkers or friends or family or just the random person on the street that cuts you off. Like our emotions can take over and that's, and that's okay. But when we regularly let our emotions take over, it can have negative effects on our kids, especially as they get into kindergarten and begin to grow up. They may begin to process our anger by not asking, what did I do wrong, but what is wrong with me? Um, so that's when it becomes personal. And Andy Stanley says, own that your frustration and anger is often because you are not getting what you want from them, even though what you want may be what is best for them. When love is not self-seeking, it will not be easily angered. The end of 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Forgiving and pretending to forget the mistakes of our children um, is our best bet. Sometimes we may want to, without realizing it, hold our kids' mistakes over their heads or maybe remind them about it later when our emotions come out, but it's important to not keep record of their mistakes. Not only for their sake, but also because this is what God does for us. When we make, make mistakes, no matter how many times we mess up, God still forgives. And he still loves us despite those mistakes. And he is a loving and forgiving God who does not hold those mistakes over our heads or remind us of our past mistakes. Maybe we remember them, but that's just something that we're working through in our mind. That is not God who is reminding us of them. So in turn, we need to not keep record of our, of our children's mistakes. So the second point this morning is, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. That's from verse six. 
And this definitely applies with our kids, our coworkers, neighbors, past employers, and everyone else. Love does not feel victory when catching our kids or anyone else doing the wrong thing. Instead, love has a focus on enjoying catching people doing the right thing and celebrating that behavior, celebrating their successes rather than celebrating and bringing out their failures. Love sides with the offender and does not remind them of the past mistakes, but instead looks ahead to the future. And again, this is what God does for us. The third point, love protects. Verse 7 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I'll say it again. Love always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, translates it a little differently and says, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes in all things, and love endures all things. I love that last part. Love endures and stands through everything. This means that love defends, stands guards, stands guard and keeps things out. This gets harder and harder as your kids grow older. I see teenagers who want to be more independent, and as they grow older, they feel the need to have more freedom. Andy Stanley says, relax your grip slowly because it is easier to give more freedom than to take it away. Maybe you're hearing from your kids like everyone else gets to do it, or why can't I go there? Why can't I stay up late? Or maybe they have an older sibling and they're like, they get to do it. Um, this is just a reminder is that it's easier to relax your grip slowly than it is to just let go altogether and then try to bring him back. In working with teenagers in ministry for over 16 years, I've seen many different parenting strategies. And I believe that the freedom given should have little to do with age and more to do with their maturity and ability to accept responsibility. Kids may not understand the lack of freedom. They may be angry. They may say everyone else gets to do it. But it's more important to keep them safe than it is to let them get what they want. Believe it or not, maybe not right now, but later on, kids, they will care more about being kept safe and they'll care more about knowing that you care than what you allow them to do. Um, before I came here to Valley Brook, I, I worked at a uh, church for seven years and the last three years of that um, worked in kind of a more lower income community and lower income environment. And so we had a lot of kids who had single parent homes. A lot of them lived with their aunt and uncle or just with their aunt or maybe were in foster care um, or with their grandparents, but there were a lot of them who didn't have real stable home environments. But then at the other campus, it was predominantly um, a lot of Christian families, a lot of them were homeschooled, went to Christian school, and most of the kids had two parents at home. So we go um, to summer camp, and a kid named Jalen, he, he went with us, and Jalen lived with his grandparents. Uh, I don't know that he really knew his parents very well. Um, his dad signed some permission forms here and there, but that was, that was about it. Um, so people at camp, they're starting to, to talk, and 
you know, you hear kids saying, oh, my parents won't let me do that, or, you know, oh, I got to do that, or I saw that movie, or I didn't. And, and Jalen, I notice as he's listening, he begins to respond, and he's like, my grandparents don't care. I get to do whatever I want. And I notice, you know, it began by bragging. And other kids were like, wow, he gets to do anything that he wants to do. And, and I think that there was some jealousy in the other kids, that they, you know, that he had that freedom. But this, these conversations kind of kept going on as, as the week went through. And, um, and I noticed what began as bragging began to turn into um, more of a sadness. And his emphasis in his voice changed from, I can do whatever I want, to they don't care. So it changed from, they don't care, I get to do what I want. And then it turned into, they really don't care, so I just do what I want. And, you know, looking at Jalen's life then, like, he didn't have a relationship with his grandparents who were acting as his parents. He just lived in the house. Like, that was pretty much it. And now, today, I don't know that he even still has any kind of relationship with them at all. One of the goals as parents should be not to make our kids happy and to give them everything they want, but instead it should be to love our kids as the Heavenly Father loves us. A goal for a parent should be to have a continuing relationship with the kids for their entire lives. Like, I think that's something that every parent wants to have. And again, I think that... Um, they'll understand later that even if they didn't like what you didn't allow them to do or the freedom they didn't have, they'll recognize that it was done in love. And, you know, I, there was a lot of things that I wasn't able to do as a kid that at the time I wished that I did and I didn't understand why I couldn't do it or why I couldn't watch certain things. Um, but, you know, at this point in my life, I realized that, um, you know, parents don't know everything. It's not that this is how they know they should have done it, but we're just figuring it out as we go. And, you know, anything that I wasn't allowed to do, it was done in love and done to protect me. Um, and I think, again, the center of our relationship should be not to make our kids happy or to give them everything they want, but to love our kids as God loves us. So here's the big, the big takeaway. Love your kids and parent towards a healthy adult relationship. Live a life that follows Jesus and points your kids to a relationship with him. Help your kids see the importance of growing in their faith and making Jesus a priority in their life. So how do we do this? You know, it's easy to like say these things, but what does this look like in a practical way? So as, I meant, as Clark mentioned last week, our kids are watching us. Our kids are watching the way that you respond to your spouse, the way that you treat each other, the way that you treat you know, your neighbors, the way that if you have multiple kids, the way that you treat the other kids, like kids are watching. They're listening to the things that you say. They're listening uh, and watching how you spend your time. There's things that, that we say, little quirks that Oliver picks up on, and then he just kind of repeats what we say. And like he may not even know what it is that, he, that he's saying, but he'll repeat those because he's watching, because he's listening. So here's the challenge here. If faith in your relationship with God isn't a priority for you as a parent, don't expect it to become one for your kids. 
especially when they get to high school or move out, if they don't see that as a priority in your life, that you're growing, and, and if they don't see that as important to you, then there's a greater chance that they are not going to be following God when they get out on their own. As the kids get older, it's also important for them to begin owning their faith themselves and begin to ask questions. So maybe your faith is a priority for you. You have a personal relationship with God. That's something that's so important to you. But as kids get older, it's not enough that it's just important to you. You know, they may continue coming to church. They may, you know, talk about God, whatever. Like, they may do that. But if it never becomes personal, the chance of them having a continual growing relationship with God when they get older gets less and less. So it's important for them to begin owning their faith and asking questions. As parents, it's important to be there and to talk through the questions that they have. You know, we have leaders and small group leaders for students on Wednesday nights where we can partner with you. And we have children's Sunday school first service where beginning to partner with you and talking through um, God's word and teaching things like that. But it's important for you as parents to have that conversation and to be a part of those questions. Tara Powell from Fuller Youth Institute says, parents have to talk about their faith with their kids. They don't, and, and I know this can sometimes be challenging because you're like, Maybe you don't know what to say, or maybe you don't fully understand yourself. But she goes on and she says, parents don't have to be theologians or super Christians to have that talk about faith with their kids. Parents simply have to be willing to go there. Parents just have to be willing to talk about it. So here are some steps to help your kids figure out their faith. And this is especially important when they hit middle school or begin to have adolescence, which can be even as early as like fourth grade at this point. Um, you may not always get an answer if you're talking to your kids. You may not always get an answer other than I don't know or nothing or just a shrug or just a look. You may not always get that, but asking questions can get them thinking and it can slowly get them talking about it. So the first step, ask your kids, when do you feel closest to God? Having that conversation provides one more way to grow in faith as a family. Secondly, carve out time in your schedule so that your kids get that kind of time. If you don't set aside time to intentionally talk about that and ask those questions, even if that time is just driving home from church on Sunday or driving them home on Wednesday night, like having that time is so important. And that's time to intentionally do that. The third point, expose your kids to other ways to connect with God. Growing in their faith can come in many different ways. Some of these may be through worship on Sunday morning or listening to worship music. Some of it is scripture reading, prayer, children's Sunday school, VBS, youth group, and serving in the community, these can all be ways to begin their spiritual growth. And we need to help them experience those different ways. As the kids grow older, also work towards considering new 
creative ways that honor their experiences and their faith journeys. Help them to make their faith personal rather than just following your faith or the faith of Valley Brook. Having these conversations are so important and maybe you're still like, I don't know exactly where to go with this. You know, I would love to connect with you, um, whether this is through meeting for coffee, meeting after church one day, meeting on Zoom, which, gosh, I'm so tired of Zoom, but I would do it anyway, because I just love, you know, talking about this, and I would love to help kind of guide you and maybe some just starting points and ways to talk about your kids or way to help, ways to help connect them and make their faith personal. Whether this, is, whether this is children or teens, I would still love to do it. So as a review, um, just to wrap up this whole series, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient, love is kind. It is not boastful, it's not conceited, it's not selfish or provoked, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love also finds no joy in mistakes, but rejoices in truth. Verse 7 says, love bears all things. Love believes all things, and love endures all things. And verse 8 brings it to an amazing close. And this is the love that we should have for our kids and the love that God has for us by saying, love never ends. The love that God has for us goes forever despite any of our mistakes or mess-ups or things we do or don't do. God has that love for us that never ends. And that's the love that we should have for our kids and for each other. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for the love that you have for us. I thank you for these words and the foundation that you made for New Testament living and New Testament parenting. God, I pray for everyone in this room that you will help us to grow um, in our faith and that you will be... Um, just the center of our lives and that you'll be that foundation that we will love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind and that we will love our neighbor and love our children as we love you. As we go back into worship, that you'll just continue to do a great work in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.